Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. This is Sarah Larvey. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? I hope you are having a great day. I am enjoying Mexico and then warm weather, and I hope you guys have a nice trip planned as well. With that said, today's guest is Carmen Campanero, who has over 25 plus years of experience, started at a very young age and became an entrepreneur as well as a business owner and real estate investor. She's done everything from residential to commercial and even hospitality. She also has a small boutique resort, which is very cool. So we talk about that as well and much, much more. And by the way, if you guys are interested in attending our live events, Investors and Entrepreneurs of Canada, we are hosting monthly events. These are in Burlington at Hegarty's Garage and Social. And the next one is December 14th. And we are going to be talking about how to scale and grow a small business. So if you are looking for additional sources of income, something a little bit more active, we are going to be speaking to business owners. We're going to be looking at how to grow, structure, get loans for your small business and everything in between. So if, uh, if you are interested, go to Midterm Rental Properties and that's .com. And if you go to the event section, you will find all the information on our events and we do them all year and then we take a little break in the summer and those are in person. So every other month it is speed networking and every other month it is a topic and we do a roundtable workshop style. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and if you are interested in attending, feel free to uh, buy yourself a ticket. They are super cheap. We are, you know, making it affordable for everybody. I think they're like $25 and you sometimes are able to bring a, a plus one friend as well. So, and if you have any questions, Sarah at sarahlarby.com. On that note, let's bring in Carmen. Enjoy the podcast. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Carmen, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? Good, good. I'm excited. The tables have shifted a little bit. I was in your <laughs> office not too long ago recording an episode for your TV show, and now you are a guest on the podcast. So I'm I know you on. It's exciting. I thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So you know, obviously, you've got you know a very successful real estate investor show. You have a lot of experience in real estate investing. Give us like a, a quick 30,000 foot view of, you know, maybe how you got started and, and what your real estate strategy consists of today. Okay. Well, I started investing in real estate when I was 18. I bought my first property at 18, did really well with that. I then, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I've been dealing with real estate investors now for 25 years plus specifically. Mm -hmm. So I spoke at events, real estate training companies and things like this and specialized in financing for investors. So understanding an investor side, which I am heavily, and also then what the banks or lenders want. So put it together. So so 25 years in the industry, our company, ProFunds Mortgages, and our sister companies, we have ProFunds, which is a brokerage. And then we have Valor Group, which is a developer, Velcon, a construction company. And then we have our REIT called District Property Trust. So very busy in real estate and all aspects of it. And I love it. 
That's awesome. Was there a, a specific reason why you got into real estate in the first place? Like anything, any parents or family members that were investors? Like how did that all happen? It's just a fluke. I just happened to really like it. Even when I was a kid, I used to love going into people's houses and seeing them when I was like eight and nine. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I found out later that in my dad's side of the family, I guess there were some serious real estate holders in after the war and they had monster portfolios and they lost everything when they thought, oh my gosh, there's a recession going to hit. We need to sell now. And they sold everything. And that's when the dollar dropped and they really lost everything. So it was a really interesting lesson. But for me, I just basically, I bought my first house when I was 18 and I sold it just before the crash in the 90s, which that really ages me, which sucks. But anyway, it is what it is. And I made like $100,000 at 18. And then I invested in a duplex and I house hacked, as they call it today. Mm. I lived in the main level and rented the apartment above. And I just kept doing it, kept rolling. And then I got into these real estate training companies and things like that that I spoke for and just started to buy duplexes. And then I got into buying apartments and then I got into commercial, some land development, and it just kept growing. So I have a huge passion for real estate. I absolutely love it. My hobby at night is on my computer, checking out what's available all over Canada, the U.S., Italy, <laughs> yeah. wherever possible. So I just love it. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hi, if you currently have a mortgage with an advanceable line of credit component with any of the big banks, such as the step mortgage with Scotiabank, the home power plan with CIBC, the RBC home line plan, BMO's home owner ready line, or the National Bank All-in-One, then this message is for you. By now, you would have received a letter from your bank outlining upcoming changes to the Advanceable Mortgage products that will take effect on November the 1st. But before I get into the details of the letter and how this change impacts you, I'd like to go through a quick refresher of what an Advanceable Mortgage is. Essentially, an advanceable mortgage combines a mortgage with a line of credit, which acts like a home equity line of credit referred to as a HELOC. And with the banks, a HELOC or a line of credit cannot exceed 65% of the value, but between the mortgage and the line of credit, together they can get up to 80% of the home value at the time the loan was approved. This 80% is referred to as the global limit. And as you make payments towards your mortgage, the credit limit on the line would increase in an amount equal to the principal that you're paying down on the mortgage. When you make a mortgage payment, essentially, you uh, basically have two components. It's split into two components. There is a principal pay down and there is an interest component. So let's take an example. Let's say that your mortgage payment is $1,000 and out of that $1,000, 700 goes towards paying down your principal and 300 goes towards paying down the interest. Now, the $700 is what I'm referring to here. That is the amount of principal pay down that would increase the limit on the line of credit by an equivalent amount 
if you have an advanceable mortgage product. So you're essentially re-accessing what you've paid down on the mortgage through the line of credit. And this is a great feature that many homeowners and investors alike um, enjoy. Now, 15 months ago, OSFI, the financial services regulator, introduced a new role uh, to basically limit how consumers or borrowers with advanceable mortgages can reborrow any paid down principal. And basically what they want is they want, they don't want um, anybody to reborrow money above 65% of the value of the property at the time the loan was approved. This change is going to take effect on November the 1st for the big six banks and uh, January the 1st for most other federally regulated lenders. OSFI expects that any and all lending above 65% of the loan to value, which cannot exceed 80%, will be both amortizing and non-advanceable. That's what the regulator says. Also, the principal payments applied to the portion above the 65% should be matched by a reduction in the overall authorized limit or the global limit until that global limit reduces to 65%. Okay, I had to read this 20 times before I understood what this really means. It was easier for me to actually understand Spanish than to understand what this is all about. So let me walk you through what it means through an example. Recently, I received my Scotia Step uh, letter informing me of the change. I'm not going to read it all, but will highlight the key paragraph that says the following. Beginning November 2023, your step global limit will gradually reduce to 65% over the next 25 years. This will take effect through monthly reductions of $157 to your step global lim limit. Now, let's get into the translation of what that really means. Consider a case where a borrower has a million dollars house and a combined global limit uh, of mortgages and line of credits as follows. Mortgage component number one is at $150,000. Mortgage component number two is at $250,000. And uh, the client has a $400,000 revolving line of credit. So altogether, we're at 80%. The rule essentially says the following. And here's the key concept. The key concept is that the principal payments applied to any portion above 65% should be matched by a reduction in the overall global limit until this overall limit shrinks to 65%. In this example, mortgage number two of $250,000 along with the line of credit of $400,000 make up 65% of the value of the house, which is a million dollars. So any dollars you pay down on mortgage component number one, which is the portion representing more than the 65%, under the old rules, it used to advance over to the line, but under the new rules will no longer advance over to the line and instead 
that will gradually shrink your borrowing ability from recycling within that 80% box to eventually, you know, getting to a 65% over time. So that's the idea here. They're trying to limit how much money you can recycle within that 80% so that gradually over time, that amount shrinks to 65% is what this really says. In the Scotia example that I shared with you earlier, the $157 that I read in the letter is basically that gradual monthly reduction in the global limit. It is not something that I'm going to pay out uh, for uh, you know, myself. Instead, as I pay down the mortgage, instead of being able to re-access that $157 on the line of credit, it will now go towards shrinking the overall global limit from 80% to 65%. So here's the thing, this amount will differ from one client to another, it will differ from one bank to another, but ultimately the end game is the same for everybody who has this product. Borrowers will end up with re-advanceable mortgages that have a global limit that cannot exceed 65% over time. And if they're starting at 80% over time, that number will go down to 65%. And the difference is that some lenders will get you there uh, more, you know, uh, like faster than some other lenders. So if you're re-advanceable mortgage, <clears throat> if you got an advanceable mortgage before September 15th, 2012, that's when this B20 regulation took eff effect that product will be grandfathered. You don't have to worry. So none of what I'm talking about here applies to you. But everyone uh, who set up their product past that deadline will be impacted. So if you decide to refinance today and you qualify for an 80% with a mortgage and a HELOC, yes, you're gonna start at 80%, but over time, again, this will bring you to the 65%. So this rule applies for new uh, advanceable mortgages that are being set up as we speak. If you have received this letter from your bank and you would like to explore new options to continue to access capital, reach out to my team at info at streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Amazing. So you obviously you've done a lot. I know, you, you know, you and I have talked about our resorts. I think we both have, you know, each, we each have a resort and you have so many really cool projects. Is there one that you're like, this is the most fun project or your passion project? Yeah, well, you got it with the resort thing. So that's, yes, I purchased 85 acres on Lake Huron with a lodge and cabins and everything. We got a, the Airbnb kind of business or the hospitality industry, creating the funkiest, coolest places on earth for people to stay at. That's fun. That's mm -hmm. my fun thing. I love shopping for antiques and vintage stuff and creating magic in houses and places that other people can enjoy. That's what I love to do. And eventually one day I want to buy a castle in Europe somewhere, either France or Italy or somewhere south of France and totally do that with, uh, a group of investors or myself. Mm -hmm. So that would be my best passion project. But we do a lot of things here that I also enjoy, which is, 
you know, picking up uh, apartment buildings and things and creating value and, and wealth or upside in those types of things. So the passion is that, you know, the creative aspect, but there's also, you know, where you make a lot of money, which is investing in, in real estate of all types. Mm-hmm. And specifically in this climate, right? People are, oof, you know, it was great five years ago. Everyone was buying and flipping yeah. and everything else, spurs left, right, and center. And now people got a little taste of what it's like out there. And, you know, making sure that we're pivoting through something like this type of a climate economically where we don't know what's happening. It's a very rare, odd kind of situation in our world of real estate, but finding the way and the path to being safe in this environment and still making lots of money. Yeah, I love that you said pivot. I mean, it's it's one of my words I use as well, because you know, I think as the economy changes, the market changes, the, you know, I mean, really, it's the, there's lots of changes around the whole landscape, rules, regulations, bylaws. I mean, there's so many changes all the time. I think it is mm-hmm. important to adapt and pivot. And, you know, what got you here today isn't necessarily what's going to keep you going tomorrow, right? Um, right. I mean, when you started, you were probably doing small deals that cash flowed really well, myself included. And then over time, yeah. you've got to change it up. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think right now, if people focused or honed in on um, what's necessary today, like Mm -hmm. what do people need? What is recession proof? Well, you can't say recession proof 100%. And if I said that to Robert Kiyosaki, he'd probably say, there's nothing recession proof. And he'd yell at me or something. (laughs) But recession proof from my interpretation would be multi-residential housing, not necessarily just affordable, but middle class, right? So there's always a demand and a need for a roof over our head. So let's buy as many of these types of properties as we can. And also service retail that include, you know, very important necessities like medical facilities and Mm -hmm. liquor store, (laughs) banks, those types of things, right? Like those are things that people always need. And if we can buy into that type of real estate, then we know we have a good thing going and we have security. For sure. Now, you mentioned, obviously, you know, Italy and in a few other places. Are you are you still heavily investing in Canada? Have you, you know, started heavily investing outside of Canada? Like, what's your take on that and, and your pivot strategy there? So Canada, definitely. It's my home and native land. I love it. Yes, politically, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. However, we do have a huge immigration ratio coming in specifically to Ontario and there's a housing crisis and my backyard is my first place. Yes, I have invested in other areas in Florida and in Italy, but I think that my focus is here, my own backyard, because I know it the best. And we, as I mentioned earlier, we launched a REIT. And so for us, it's helping our investors earn awesome returns and somewhere where they can feel safe and something that's maybe a little less risky. I'm a risk taker, but not everybody is. And for people that want to invest passively and just have their money somewhere and feel comfortable, it would be something like that. So what we do is we're building out multi-residential properties. We're taking advantage of the government programs that they've initiated. Now this GST thing that Justin Trudeau just announced with housing for rental or affordability. I'd like to see what it's all about, but those types of things that really help 
mm-hmm. the bottom line. So it helps our investors that get involved in the projects. And then it helps us create more and more of that product because it's more viable mm-hmm. because of the pricing of construction and everything, right? So so for us, building out multi-red industrial because of the way people are purchasing these days online, having warehouse facilities is, I think, important as well or a good investment. And service retail, as I mentioned earlier, those types of things. So it would be here in Ontario, southwestern Ontario, um, and more actually to the west than the east. So this is where our portfolio mainly is, like London, Woodstock, Kitchener, Brantford, let's say even King Carden and going up in that area there. Mm-hmm. But we also have stuff up out in Ajax and things like that. But yeah, so my backyard is where I like to play. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And you mentioned the GS, GST. I mean, I think it's a little too late because he's trying to get votes. And, you know, I think everyone on this podcast knows my opinion politically <laughs> about our current government. But, you know, just recently they announced that the GST was being essentially removed, you know, for new builds. But they forget to mention all the, the like all the fees, right? So all the fees that you still have to pay, you know, your parkland fees, your development fees, and those can, can still add up to quite a bit. You know, like, but listen, this yeah. is, I, I mean, I'm with you 100%. I have toilet paper in my house with Justin Trudeau's face on it. Okay. So I don't like him. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to put politics on the front screen because everybody has their own choice of opinion. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think he's destroyed it here. And mm-hmm. I, we all anticipated that when he got into the government. But, you know, with this GST thing, like there's a project we're working on right now. We went through the, we're building 86 units in Kitchener mm-hmm. with 14,000 square feet of commercial. It's adjacent to a medical plaza we have. It is being sold to the REIT, but we were able to qualify for the MLI Select. Right. Um, so we got about 90% financing and that's all in on construction, 50-year amortization once it's stabilized. And then we also got like 4.5% interest on the loan, the construction loan. And at the end of the day, GST would be close to $8 million on that project. Wow. So this, and we did do some affordability. Okay. And we did uh, barrier-free and environmental. So we blended all three components. So we're qualifying for this. Hopefully there's not a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but they say, oh, sorry, you don't qualify. You're going to max out to a hundred points. Yeah. And so, you know, hopefully the GST mm-hmm. thing comes to fruition because our investors are going to be so happy because mm-hmm. we did that as an LP model. So I'm hoping it works because if that's the case, then wow, it does open the doors in a large way because that's just one project. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Like, you mentioned LP model. I mean, everyone, you know. I think many people just think JV, joint ventures originally, and then maybe shareholders. But there's other additional ways that you can structure deals. Are you able to share what you did with the LPGP model? 100%, yeah. So what we do is we have uh, approximately 30 different projects in different phases of construction and development across Ontario, and actually even some out to New Brunswick. And what we do is we create a limited partnership and the partnership actually, it's limited from a liability perspective for the investors. So they don't have to be the borrower or a covenant on the mortgage that we qualify for. If there's any losses or anything like that, it's just their investment, nothing else. So they're not liable for anything else. So it's a good arrangement for the investor. It's passive, typically only cash investment in a structure like that. 
accredited investor. And so what we do is we'll take a project and we'll have our team of analysts come in and say, okay, you know, here's the value. This is what we're going to build. And we need to raise, let's say, $5 million on this project. And then the investors can earn anywhere between, I'd say, 18 to 27% a year on their money. Now, if this GST thing comes back, it'll mm-hmm. definitely increase their bottom line. And so we are the GP. We are the one managing the project. We do everything. We send out quarterly reporting so people know where they're at. And basically, it's patient money. So you put your money in. And what's important for viewers, I guess, is to understand where in the project are you? Are you buying a cornfield? Or are you buying something that's already approved, reduces the risk? And what are you building? Are you building condos downtown Toronto? Or are you building multifamily type rental product, right? So it's important to understand where the money's going in that regard for the security of the investor. They sit on it for, let's say, typically in our projects, there are three, two and a half to, let's say, five years max. This one here is a three and a half year deal. And they make about 20, this one here was about 22% a year on their money. Mm -hmm. And when we sell it off to District REIT, which is our REIT, then that's when they get paid out. And then we move on to the next project and that LP is complete and closed. And that's how they work. So we have one adjacent to this one I was just telling you about for 260 units in Kitchener. And it's right at the corner of Victoria and Westmount. So that's another exciting opportunity for rental product. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Experience Inspire Beach Resort. It is the resort that we have been building and it is ready. So if you are looking to host events, team building opportunities, retreats of your own, and just even potentially hang out with your friends or family or colleagues, you can rent out a cabin, you can rent out the entire resort. Inspire Beach Resort, it is an adults only, it is Canada's only themed resort specifically for adults and the themes are really nice they're really upscale like you have like the beach theme you've got a rustic lodge theme and a vintage hollywood and we are adding more every year but there is uh, an awesome space that is on the water to host your retreats your events your business meetings planning meetings all of that good stuff so check that out inspirebeachresorts.com now back to the show yeah no that's, that sounds really cool so i mean you obviously went from you know, house hacking, <laughs> you, you know, building, creating, you know, really some really cool projects, having a REIT, like, what was that transition? Like, was there, you know, is there, is it just over time? Is it, you know, you had some partners that came in and you, you were able to sky, you know, skyrocket the whole, you know, what your strategies were? Like, what, what yeah. was the turning point? I would say, yeah, that's, that's a very good question. And I would say that I probably in the twenty. 16, 17, 18, 19, those years were the accelerator. It was like a a steam engine going so fast. And it was through syndicated mortgages. So many people probably have heard of the stories of Patrice and companies like this that took advantage of many people. And it was disastrous. And that's why the regulators have come in and changed that industry and the qualification processes in it. But that we did so many syndicated mortgages for many years and 
it was a very good vehicle because we offered an offering on it. We did appraisals on it. We did everything that you should do on a syndicated mortgage. And you just have to execute quickly and exit quickly. Now, when you get into a syndicate, people have a fixed return, but it's uh, a lot less. Like it, your returns are less, like 12 to 14 in that range, where when you get into the equity position, you're looking at returns at, you know, 18 to 26. So it's a big, it's a big difference, but they have security on the real estate registered charge. So that's what pushed us forward quite a bit. Then the rules changed and we had to stop and again, pivot <laughs> to a new place, which is now limited partnerships, equity, working with an exempt market dealer and those types of things. It's hard. It's always a challenge and you're always learning something. And we really, we had such a, a nice fine tuned engine rolling and, and just flying and we had to literally stop because when all of that happened, and I'm going to say this because probably make an interesting conversation, but we had an audit here for almost two and a half years from mm -hmm. our regulators because of this business model and because somebody else in the industry or many people mm -hmm. did it wrong. And mind you, we came out clean after them interrogating every nook and cranny of the company. There wasn't really anything there because if we were bad, they would have found it. So it was a very interesting time and challenging. So no matter what, how pretty everything looks on mm -hmm. the exterior, there's always challenges and you just got to brush the dust off and move on and find a new way to make it happen. And that's what we've done. So now the syndicated mortgage is out and now we're dealing with strictly equity and, and larger investors and that type of stuff. We still have investments for the smaller investors with district REIT because that's you can invest 10000 if you want. But for the bigger grand grandioso projects, those are our larger type investors that would come in that have to be accredited. Yeah. That, I mean, I guess that must have been a stressful two and a half years. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. Brutal. And, you know, when a regulator comes in, it's intense, man. Like they could shut you down tomorrow if they wanted to. They can control everything. Okay. We don't really have any control. They could just say, hey, can't do this. And, but you know what? I get it. There was a big scam out there happening. And any other company out there that was doing syndicated mortgages, they were interrogated, right? They had to find out what, mm -hmm. who, is anyone else out there doing the same stuff, unethical behavior? And so, you know, they dug and they didn't find. So it was closed off and everything's fine. But yeah, it was pretty, pretty stressful, I would say. But even the lenders out there in our business, like people don't realize that so many people syndicate money, even larger mix and, you know, A and B type lenders, meaning, you know, you've got a equitable trust and then you've mm -hmm. got home trust or and then you've got you know, B-type lenders out there, they put their monies together to fund big projects. And so syndication is everywhere. And all of these people in the industry had to really change their, their process. So it was a big change in our industry completely across the board. It wasn't just for mortgage brokers that were doing syndicated mortgages. It was, you know, across the board and lending. It was intense. So that, that, that is interesting. I, th I think on this podcast, I have active investors and I also have, I'm sure, you know, some passive investors as well. And, and I want to ask you questions for, I guess, both angles from an active investor standpoint, if they want to create something like this, 
who are some key people for them to have on their team, like a securities lawyer, you know, like, yeah. I guess I'll open it up to you because you, you've done this <laughs> for many yeah. years. Yeah, Sarah, I would say that it depends if they're going into joint ventures. So if just a recommendation to investors, if you have really close friends and family that you can just raise the money with and do a joint venture, it's probably the best bet because it keeps that really intense regulatory factor out of the equation. Now, mind you, it, it has to be truly friends and family because the Ontario Securities Commission finds out you're doing other, it, they'll come down like this with a hatchet and it'll be it. So make sure you're doing it right and actually speak to a securities lawyer and find out if you're doing it the right way so that you don't get into any trouble because it's not worth it at all. If you are getting into larger things and you do need to raise capital through an exempt market, you need to raise, you know, five, $10 million and you can't do it with just your immediate friends and family, then you definitely need to find an exempt market dealer that will work with you on it. And you put together your offering and then that exempt market dealer then is the one distributing and raising the money for you. So, and that's a little pricey, but you know what, worth it because it actually washes your hands of any of the issues that might occur if you're doing, if you're soliciting or selling or distributing on your own. So, and that's a really, for me, I'm not a very disciplined person. <laughs> I'll just go and do, but I've learned the hard way through all of this actually, which was now in hindsight, it was a good thing that happened because it really put everything into perspective. Like this is mm -hmm. how you have to do it. Don't go off don't go off that road, stay on that road and let these people handle this. And then I can focus on my gift, which is creating value in real estate. Mm -hmm. And so it worked out well that way. So I just suggest highly do it the right way. Of course. And where yeah. does somebody find the right exempt market dealer? Is it through other? Great question. It is not an easy feat to find. I think downtown Toronto has a ton of them, but also what they can do is actually, I think there's a website with the Ontario Securities Commission that lists exempt market dealers. And then I just research which ones are, you know, catered to this type of investment that you're presenting. And you might find some EMDs that would handle it. And if you're in, and, and they have to be able to service the province that you're in. So, so that's another thing. Like, is it Canadian? Now, if you're in the States, that's a different animal. But for here in Canada, I would suggest getting on that and just going through each and every one and finding one that would suit and then talk to them because you have to have a relationship mm -hmm. and it has to be a fit, right? So okay. if they're very, you know, if, if there's a clash, obviously, in personality, mm -hmm. then it won't work. You got to find somebody that will fit. Great insight there. So. Oh. For somebody wanting to lend money or to potentially participate in, you know, doing, a, you know, something, a project with you, whether it's through your fund or whatnot, you know, what are some things that like you want the listeners to be aware of, you know, any insights or tips of if, what it is that you do that might be different than, than maybe right. other funds out there? Okay. I think that we're vertically integrated is really key here. I've had so many experiences in my past. I'm, I'm writing a book right now, which is going to be very exciting launching it in the spring and it'll tell all the tales of the good the bad and the ugly and holy crap I've been through so many things and I think the key is management that you control your situation whether it's managing an apartment building whether it's 
building an apartment building or whether it's handling the development aspect of it, because I've been burned in each and every category. And so what we've done is we've, uh, we've launched our own property management company here. We have our own analysts that go through every deal, every nook and cranny, because you can never take anything for face value. You need to look into everything. And for the development aspect of it, it's our own team. So we have planners and engineers and all of those types of people working away on the planning aspect of it to get the approvals. And then when we finish, we actually build our own product because I've been had by contractors as well. And we said, okay, let's launch our own. Not that it's a huge moneymaker, but it's just understanding and controlling and saving money because when you're out there and third parties are doing it, you don't know really what's going on. So having everything in-house for us is key. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So the next part of this podcast is the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You can give me the first okay. answer that comes to mind and then, and then we'll wrap it up shortly after. How does that sound? Are you looking for a solid investment strategy that can withstand the challenges of inflammatory economy? Hi, I'm Jimo Rantula, a trusted resource in the real estate industry. Today, I want to talk to you about the power of embracing hard assets. In times of rising prices and eroding purchasing power, it's essential to secure your wealth with tangible assets that can weather economic storms. That's where real estate comes in. Unlike traditional investments like stocks and bonds, real estate has a track record of appreciating over time, making it an ideal hedge against inflation. Imagine owning properties that not only provide a steady stream of income, but also increase in value as inflation soars. That's the potential power of real estate investing. Whether it's in residential commercial properties, there's a wide range of options to suit your investment goals. But I understand that venturing into real estate investing can feel overwhelming, especially if you're new to the game. That's where I come in. With over 15 years of experience and a deep understanding of the market, I'm here to guide you every step of the way. When you work with me, you gain access to my network, my insights, and my expertise. I will help you identify undervalued properties, negotiate favorable terms, and develop personalized investment strategy tailored to your needs. Together, we can build a resilient real estate portfolio that stands the test of time. So if you're ready to take the plunge into real estate investing, or if you're looking to expand your existing portfolio, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Follow me on social media at J-A-M-I-L-R-A-H-E-M-T-U-L-A or give me a call at 289-401-1566. I'm here to answer your questions, provide guidance, and help you achieve your investment goals. Sounds great. Okay, so here's question number one. Everybody gets them. Same ones. And again, if you know don't know or, or don't have one, you can pass. But do you have a favorite real estate investing book? Oh, yeah. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He was just on your show, too, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. We're working on doing some things together. Good. But honest to goodness, was the first book I really read. I went to a conference in New York City with Donald Trump and Kiyosaki was there. And that's when I got his book and I read it and uh, it really changed the way I thought about things. And so that's the one that kicked me in the butt and got me moving. Okay, awesome. Number two, 
not necessarily real estate investing, but do you have a favorite podcast that you listen to or maybe an educational show that you like? You know what? I, honestly, on my spare time, I don't. I go home and I just chill out. So I really don't watch podcasts mm -hmm. or even TV or anything like that. If I have spare time, you know what I'm doing? I'm on my uh, computer on looking on realtor.ca or properties in Europe or in the States, but I really don't follow. So that's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. I should say my own. I watch my, I don't even watch my own show for goodness sake. <laughs> I haven't seen one of them because I'm afraid to see what I look like. But anyway, oh, you, you look great. You look great. Number, th number three, what do you do for fun when it's not real estate related or work related? Okay. Antiquing. I love antiquing and I love painting. So I like to paint artsy kind of crafty kind of person and cooking. I love cooking. And you have a new grandson too. Yes, I do. He's two already, like, and he's the mm -hmm. cutest little nugget. So yeah, I love cooking, baking, painting, art, antiquing, Good. decorating, Good. designing, that kind of thing. Awesome. Number four, if you lost everything tomorrow, all your assets, your money, your real estate, how would you start again? That's a great question. I think I would probably do consulting uh, to get back up and running. So I would be doing mentorship type things because I know so much about the business and also consulting on financing and things like that. And then as soon as I had some extra cash flow kicking around, I would definitely be investing in something or and I'd say and I would be looking for deals and joint venturing and things like that and getting back up and going as soon as possible. Okay. All right. And last final question. If somebody has $50,000, that used to be a lot of money back in 2017 when I first started, but you know, I'm going to still use the same number. It'll be a bigger challenge. What do you recommend that people do with that $50,000 if that's how they want to get started and that's what they have? It depends on what they want to do. Are they working full time? Are they really busy? Do they have a whole bunch of kids and they don't have the time of day to breathe? Or are they working and they have extra time? So for people that want to get started, I would suggest buying like a duplex or a triplex, starting smaller, getting that going and turning it around and learning on that investment. Because I think you can have as many teachers as you like, but until you actually live it and do it, and experience it in your own way, you don't learn 100%. So I think starting off with a smaller unit, duplex, triplex, then you can refi that later once you've created equity and move on to maybe something like four or five units and just grow gradually. Now, if you're going crazy busy and you don't have the opportunity, you know, mortgage investing is always really great. You can put your money into a mortgage, registered funds eligible as well and earn anywhere between 12 to 16% on your money. And that's just passive income. So that is additional funds that can come into you. You can roll it back in again. So you're creating even more investing in a REIT like district. Um, again, same idea, providing yields and upside. So creating wealth. So those are my recommendations. Okay. All right. Amazing. And so that was the lightning round. Thank you for playing. And if somebody wanted to reach out to you personally, is the best way on Instagram or how would they go about that? You can go Instagram or you can just email me, Carmen at profunds.ca. And I'm happy to assist anybody if they have any questions for sure. 
Amazing. And you also have a show and tell us when the show airs and oh, yeah. what the show is as well. 30 Minutes to Wealth. It's 302 Wealth. And my daughter's on the show with me. And it airs Friday nights at 11.30 and Saturday mornings at 10.30. And yeah, we're on season six. Awesome season. We had a great season. You were on our season. That so was, I'm so glad yes. you came. And, and actually, you can go to our website as well, 30minutestowealth.ca. And yeah, you can check everything out there. There's a ton of information. A lot of really excellent guests that come on and we teach people how to invest in real estate and it's not a sales thing there. It's truly just learning the industry from so many different ways. Like uh, you can have land development and then we have lawyers on there. We have accountants on there. So it's a really, and it's complimentary. You're not having to join a company and pay fees. It's just free, right? So it yeah, works out so really well. It's a, it's an awesome show and, uh, you know, congrats for all your success and, and your fund and, you know, helping others as well. Like somebody that wants to be passive, this is a, you know, a great opportunity to get into the market in, in a capacity, right? So that's right. Um, Absolutely. 100%. We have a lot of private money too. So if anyone is closing on a deal, you need to close quickly. Like we raised money in 24 hours for people. Okay, I had a awesome. client that was closing on a couple of apartment buildings, 24, 48 units. Mm -hmm. And at the last minute, one of their JV partners couldn't come in with the money and we came up with 400,000 for them in like 48 hours. So, and let them close the deal. Then we also have private money to buy these deals with. So if you need money to get in, um, you, you get private money, you rehabilitate the property and then you go in and get your CMHC financing or regular conventional. So private money is the answer for a lot. I use it yeah. all the time. Yeah, I never buy anything with bank money to start. No, not to stay. Exiting with CMHC like you're doing with the MLI is a great way. But yeah, see, I mean, it's in, in many places, like the stuff that we're buying is probably not, you know, bank financeable anyways. They probably don't like want to even touch it. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Like, for example, the the lodge resort place I bought, you know, mm -hmm. bank wouldn't touch that. No. And the reason why I got it at such a deal is because I went in firm and closing quickly and I knew private money. The answer, I probably saved myself a million and a half dollars just doing it that way. So people worry about the expense of private money, but not realizing the opportunity it presents, right, yes. of negotiations. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And the more that you do, the bigger the deals are, the more outside the box they are, the more this will come into, into play that you're going to want to have access to it or know somebody that can give you access to it. And uh, yeah. You know, absolutely I agree with you. It's more expensive, but sometimes it's it's the way to go. And People then you should not worry about the cost of that private money. It's a business decision and you need to think about it in a different way. Not, oh, my gosh, it's too expensive. But think about it as this is a, a tool that you can use to negotiate and create, you know, even if it just covers the cost of the private money. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Mm -hmm. You get the deal. You have the money that you need to close the deal and maybe you get a better deal because you're closing quickly. And uh, so many people <clears throat> that I've worked with over the years, which was probably their hindrance to getting ahead in, in anything, is they were too afraid to, you know, pull pull the trigger on, let's do this deal and get private money, right? Right. So anyway, that's just my theory. <laughs> no, absolutely. So some great insights. Carmen, thank you so much for being on the show. It was uh, a pleasure having you on and, and congrats, on, congrats on your success, your TV show, everything. And just like, 
you know, you're passionate about this. We, I can tell like you love this stuff, right? And it's, oh, yeah. it, it is nice to see. So yeah. And you too. Very good for you. You're, oh my gosh, you're so young and driven and wow. And your success, amazing. Good on thanks. you too. Thanks. I really thanks. love seeing it. Yeah, awesome. it's amazing. Well, thanks for being on the show. Nice having you okay. on. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larvey. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.